2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse number 6. The Bible says, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound to you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, He hath dispersed abroad, He hath given to the poor, His righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in every thing to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. By their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. And then I want you to notice verse 15. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. Today I'd like to share about that subject, the unspeakable gift. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank You that we have this time to hear from Thee. We care not to hear just from a man, but Lord, we desire to hear from, from You. And so allow me to just simply be a, a conduit, a, just a, a vessel where the Word of God can flow through me Touch the hearer. Lord, may people today, in, under the sound of my voice, not just hear with their ears, but may they hear with their heart. May they respond in obedience and help us all to understand that wonderful gift that Jesus is to us, given by God Himself. And if there's one here today without Jesus Christ, I pray that they would place their faith in You. We ask this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. In 1995, there was an elderly woman by the name of Osceola McCarty who had donated $150,000 to the University of Southern Mississippi for a scholarship fund. This was about three or four years before Mrs. McCarty was ready to pass, and she had set this out upon her death to be used as a scholarship fund there at the university. At this particular university, it was the largest donation that had been made up to that time. But I think what's most interesting is the person who gave it. This 87-year-old lady had actually been forced to drop out of school in the sixth grade to help care for her family. All through her life, for more than 60 years, she made a living washing clothes for hire in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And when she gave this sum of money to the University of Southern Mississippi, she wanted others to have the opportunity that she never received. You know, there's a wonderful principle that is given in the Scripture. It's found in the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse number 35, 
where it says, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, and here's the principle, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now this principle is spoken by Jesus. We don't know when he spoke it or what context he gave it in, but Acts 20.35 is part of our wonderful scripture inspired of God, and therefore we readily accept it as the words of the Lord. Regardless of when these words were spoken, they are a truth that every born-again Christian ought to grab hold of. And the reason every Christian ought to grab hold of it is because we find something different in society, in the world, than we find in the Bible community. Our society values how much a person has, but God values what a person gives. Think about that. Our society looks around and they value how much somebody has, but God truly values what is given. Now, it's not necessarily the dollar amount of, ooh, look at that person giving a crisp $100 bill in the offering today. It's not how much, it's really what you as an individual can and ought to give as you're designated by the Lord. I think a wonderful example in Scripture of God's value of our given is seen in the time when Jesus noted the widow who gave in her two mites. It has been estimated that two mites were just a fraction of a penny, but yet Jesus noted as all of these Pharisees had come through and dropped in their coins and they made sure the coins hit the bottom of the barrel so everybody could hear how much they gave. And yet this widow just dropped by her two mites and Jesus said she gave more than anybody else. Now, not more in the amount, but Jesus noted that it was of her necessity that she gave that out of what she had that she gave. I think the power of giving is seen over and over. You and I today in this wonderful Christmas season are reminded much about the power of giving. It is a testimony to all believers of our giving. And yet here today, evidenced in the scripture, we find the giving that is noted and I believe all the giving that this passage talks about, we ought to go back to chapter 8, and I encourage you to turn a page back and look at the first verse of chapter number 8, where Paul begins this whole section of giving, and he says these words, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now, the word wit in the King James Bible means to make known or to declare. The word bestow means given. And so he's saying to us here, I want to declare something to you of the grace of God, and I want to make known here of what the churches of Macedonia did in their giving. And so Paul is laying that out. And the basis of all this giving is on one wonderful word in that verse, and it is a five-letter word known as the word 
grace. Grace. Theologians tell us that grace is the unmerited favor of God. In the classical Greek, the era in which Jesus lived, the Greek word charis, translated as great, was defined as outward beauty, charm, loveliness, goodwill. In the New Testament that was written in the Koine Greek, the Greek of the common man, we simply find that Greek is literally the passion of God to share all his goodness with others. That's why we find grace as a centerpiece of the table of salvation. Because Ephesians 2.8 says this, For by grace are ye saved. Romans 3.24, being justified, that is, to be declared righteous before God freely by His grace. So when you think about your giving and what you're going to do this Christmas and how you'll help those in need and the opportunities, I want to come back to this passage and notice here the example that we ought to have, but the great example God has. Could I note here, first of all, the example of giving in chapter 8, verse number 5? Now again, chapters 8 and 9 go beautifully together in this context of giving, But I want you to notice verse number 5 where the example is given of the Macedonian Christians. And Paul says, and this they did, not as we had hoped, but they first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Now Paul's writing to the Corinthian believers and he is encouraging them to give a gift to a particular church that has need, and he shares with them about the Macedonians and the wonderful gift that they had given to this need. And the first thing that Paul notes here about the giving of the monetary gift is that they gave themselves to the Lord. Do you realize today giving originates from within? Giving originates from within. That's why I began today speaking about this aspect of grace because if you get a hold of the grace of God in your life, you'll have no trouble giving. You know why many people give today? They come into church and they go, oh yeah, well the preacher will probably find out if I don't give, you're giving out of compulsion. Some people come in and listen to a sermon about giving, and rarely do I preach about giving, but as a sermon is given, you're in there and saying, oh yeah, the Baptists, they always talk about giving all the time. You know what your problem is? You haven't recognized here what God's done for you. And if you begin to look inside and recognize the very grace of God and how God reached down to a sinner like you and pulled you up out of that sin and saved you by His glorious grace, you won't mind giving. In fact, you'll say, how much can I give? Can they take a second offering today? I mean, that's what you'll be saying because of the very grace of God. And these Macedonians were a wonderful example of giving to the Lord because they said, you know what? God owns us. And whatever I give out of my wallet is because I've given myself to God first. 
What a wonderful example that is shared here today. When you do this, you'll give as an extension of the soul that is blessed by God. It'll not be by compulsion. You'll not complain about the preacher talking about money. And I think it's important to look at this example. But now jump over to chapter 9 and some verses I read in our text. Notice here chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. He says, this I say, and I want to talk now, my second point about the exhortation to giving. So the example of giving is these Macedonians who gave themselves to the Lord. But now notice the exhortation in verse 6. This I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Now notice this, not grudgingly, or out of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. Now, I want you to notice three things here on this exhortation to giving is the principle concerning giving. It is the principle of the harvest. Now, imagine, if you will, how many of you grew up on a farm for just a moment? Would you raise your hand? All right, you understand the principle of farming. God bless you. The rest of you have to use your imagination, okay? But now imagine a farmer that has uh, his uh, pockets full of uh, seeds of grain. And he goes out and he drops one, and goes down a few more feet and drops another one, and drops another one, and then drops another one. And he does that all through his field. And then he gets back to the barn and he says, oh, Look at how much seed I got for next year. Let me, tell you, let me ask you something. If he sowed what the Bible says sparingly, how do you think he'll reap? Sparingly. But now imagine he reaches into his pockets with hands full of that seed and he scatters it and he reaches it again and he scatters it and he reaches in again and he scatters it. How do you think he'll reap? Most likely bountifully because he is sown bountifully. Do you realize the Apostle Paul gave this analogy of the farmer for us to understand our giving? It could be in your giving of yourself for the sake of a ministry. It could be the giving out of the gospel. It could be giving to help those that are in need in our community and thank the Lord for those that have left their homes in Washington State and Michigan and Indiana and Maine and other places to come and help out those that are in need. You know what they're doing? They're sowing bountifully so they can reap bountifully. What a wonderful principle that is given but notice the purpose here that is needed in giving. It is as every man purposeth in his heart. Now, at the end of the service, when I begin to talk about there'll be some men back there collecting offering, what's your first thought about the offering? I knew they'd talk about that. I knew somehow they'd sneak in about money. I'm going to see how I can dodge those guys back there. I'm going to see how I can avoid one of them. Or I'll slip it up and roll it up and just put a little something in there. I want to tell you something. You're giving, as the Bible talks about, grudgingly. You're giving out of necessity. The word grudgingly has this idea of sorrow. You're giving out of necessity, that is, with distress and pain. <laughs> There's a lot of people have done that. 
They start pulling out their wallet and going, mm, I don't want to pull that out. God, not that $100 bill. How about the $5 bill? I want to tell you something. You're, you as a giver must purpose in your heart that you'll be what the Bible says is a cheerful giver. The Greek word is the word from which we get our English word hilarious. You know what you ought to do when you're pulling money out to give to the Lord's work or you're giving of yourself or something? You ought to laugh about it. You ought to be a little giddy. Now, some of you are laughing and going, huh, I don't know how God's going to supply my needs if I give this amount of money. But I'm encouraging here today to be a cheerful giver. But look at the part God has in verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. Now, preacher, are you preaching this aspect that if I give, I'm doing this so I get in return? I'm not necessarily talking about that, but I do want to say this. And those of you that have given yourself to the Lord and you have helped out other people and given your lives to help people and you have given unto the Lord, you have seen and can testify how the Lord has given back to you. It is a blessing. And I want to say here today, and the deacons may fire me for making this statement, but if you can't give cheerfully, hold on to it because it'll burn a hole in your wallet. You'd be better off giving to the Lord, giving to His work, and sharing yourself for others because God indeed loves those type of givers. Oh my. Reminds me of the story of the little girl who's given $2 by her mother to go to church. And afterwards, she was going to give a dollar at the offering. And then afterwards, she could use a dollar to buy an ice cream cone. Well, when she stepped out the door, it was a little windy. And so she kind of held those $2 a little tight-fisted. But she got caught up when she was close to the church. And one of the dollars came out of her hand and went down the drain right by the sidewalk. Little girl looked. She realized she couldn't grab it. She walked on. She said, well, Lord, she said, there goes your dollar. the way some of us are, but I want to encourage you to truly be a giver. Now notice verse 15, and this is the crux of the message. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. I want you to notice not only the example of giving, the exhortation of giving, but the exclamation in giving. Paul wraps up this little section here about giving by speaking about God's unspeakable gift. Now the word unspeakable refers to that which is literally inexpressible. It's indescribable. And is not the gift of Jesus, God's son, just like that? How do you describe God giving of his son? It's unspeakable. It's in indescribable. When I think of myself and giving, I would have to admit today I'm not the greatest of gift givers. In fact, I hate shopping. How many of you would admit today you just hate shopping? God bless you. We'll all go out to eat together afterwards and console one another. But when I am out shopping, trying to find the right gift, I'm, I, I'm never sure how successful I am in finding that right gift to where I can give it to my wife and I can say, this is an indescribable gift, uh, an inexpressible gift. Boy, I failed a lot, I'll tell you. 
But I think that if a gift like God gives is to be unspeakable, to me there's three characteristics. Number one, it must be a personal gift. In other words, when I shop for my wife for Christmas time, I want to find something that she really likes. I had to learn the hard way when we first got married. Because I shopped at Home Depot for Christmas the first year. And Lowe's. And all the hardware sections. And I came home with these gifts that I liked. And boy, that look on my, fa- on my wife's face when she opened them up. And she, I could just tell this is not an unspeakable gift. It wasn't appreciated a whole lot. So I got a little smarter a couple years later, and I bought her things that, again, I thought would suit her. So I shopped in the uh, kitchen departments, and I am an organizer, so I got all these organizing things. And I already had ideas of what would go in this and what would go in that. And so I wrapped those in. Again, I'm not even a good gift wrapper. So I wrapped that gift and I gave it to my wife. And boy, my hands were sweaty that Christmas morning because I thought, she's going to like this. I didn't go to Home Depot one trip for Christmas. She's going to like this. And boy, I'm just rubbing my hands together. And as she opens up that organizing gift, I could again see it on her face. And these words said it all. That's nice. That's it. That's nice. I looked at her. I said, honey, I said, we could take these things and put them in that and and organize this. And she said, that's nice. Wasn't personal to her. Wasn't personal at all. And if I am going to be successful I need to find a gift for her that is very personal. Is not God personal when He's given His gift? He gave a personal gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. When you think of it today, the very title of Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God with us. No greater of a personal gift than what God gave as He gave Himself. Jesus wrapped in human flesh. God gave that personal gift by giving His Son to die for our sins. John 3, 16, God so loved the world, that's you, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You realize today God gave that gift for everybody. He gave it for you. God didn't just give the gift to the rich. He didn't just give it to the poor. He didn't just come to a certain class of people. He didn't come just for those in the United States. But God's gift, that is His Son, Jesus Christ, is available for all people, but especially for you. And Jesus Christ is uniquely fitted as a gift for you. When Jesus came to this earth, He took upon Himself human flesh. He didn't have to. He was God. But when he lived here on this earth, he was both fully God and completely human. And in that human flesh, he felt heartache. He knew what it was like to be lonely. He was tempted. He longed for companionship. He felt hunger. He knew what it was like to have all these things come at him. 
And I know sometimes we don't like to think of Jesus in these terms, but I'm telling you that when Jesus died on those cross, those nails that went through his wrists and went through his feet hurt him like they'd hurt you. But that was God's personal gift for you. Why did he do it? Because he looked across the span of eternity and he saw you. And he gave something that was so personal that you could identify with. It was the person, Jesus Christ. But not only is God's gift personal, His gift is practical. Now again, my woes of shopping comes back to figure out what can I get that is personal but also practical. I bet all of you today start thinking back to previous Christmases and receiving gifts that really aren't all that practical. I could go on and I might name something, but I'm going to step out on a limb here today. I might get in trouble on this, but it'll be okay. But ever since I was a little kid, one of the most impractical gifts I've ever thought has been those fruitcakes that people give. Now, wait a minute now. If you have one wrapped up or ready to deliver, don't tell me, please, because it's okay. But honestly, those fruits that are in there, I I have felt like they're probably from maybe five Christmases ago, and they've been stuffed in that fruitcake. When our family, when I was a kid, when we would receive one of those, my brothers and I would take that out because we all didn't like it, and we would use it as a large hockey puck out playing hockey. My mom would come in the kitchen, where's that fruitcake? Oh, I don't know. We ate it all. It was good. Somebody said that Christmas is a time when we exchange a whole lot of gifts we like for a load that we don't want. And a gift, if it is to be received well, needs to be practical. I suppose you don't want to be like this guy. There was a particular wife that stuck her Christmas wish list on the fridge for her husband to read. And she kept it brilliantly simple, asking only for something that will make me look slim and beautiful. When Christmas arrived, she looked forward to opening a package with something gorgeously intimate inside. Instead, she got an exercise bike. That guy was a little too practical. You know, I want to tell you something today. In the fantasy world of Christmas, Santa might bring us what we deserve... But God in the real world delivers something to us that we don't deserve. It's practical. You and I don't deserve forgiveness of sins. We're sinners on our way to hell. But God gave a personal gift to Son Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross and shed His blood, His blood was sufficient to pay the cost of the sins of the whole world and to forgive you. So that way your debt is laid clean and you can stand righteous before God. You talk about practical. God knew exactly what you needed. That's why He gave Jesus Christ. You say, do I really need forgiveness? Oh, yes, you do. Every one of us are sinners. Deep down in your heart, you know you'll live somewhere forever. And it's either going to be heaven or hell. 
If you take hold of the practical gift of God's dear Son who died in your place, you can experience the forgiveness of God. Now, not only is the gift personal, practical, but I like this. A gift is to be something that is given that is really permanent. The gift that God gives, the unspeakable gift of His Son, is a permanent gift. Now, many gifts that we give here at Christmas time are temporary. As much as I like food and candy for gifts, uh, food outside of fruit rolls and all that, but all of that stuff is gone very quickly. But I want to say to you that when God gave the gift of His dear Son, it was a permanent gift. I remember shopping for my wife, and I remember when I finally got her to unwrap a gift that was that aha moment. I had found, I had heard her talking about a particular store. It was called Brighton. Brighton Jewelry. Now, I didn't get anything this year from Brighton. I'm sorry about that. Got other things. But when she opened that gift and a piece of jewelry is in there, I could see the twinkle in her eye, the smile on her face. Inside I went, yes! I struck today. I did it. It was a permanent gift because all through the year I could see that. Isn't it wonderful how God gives a gift to us that is permanent, not perishable? The gift that God gives won't just last for a day or a week. But remember what John said in his gospel, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have How long does everlasting last for? Forever. It's a permanent gift. Friend, there's coming a day when all the gift giving will be over. No matter how permanent a gift is that you bought, it'll soon perish. But the gift of God, if I could put it this way, is permanently permanent. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ as personal Savior, you'll experience a gift that will bring you to heaven forever and forever. Now, I don't know about your gifts today at Christmas time or any other time. Whatever you learn and utilize in your life cannot outdo God and His giving. God's giving is known as an unspeakable giving because it is personal, it is for you. It is practical, it's the forgiveness of sins. His giving is permanent, it gives eternal life to all who believe in Him. And you know, that's just the way God is. The track record of God is that He's never struck out with giving a gift. You realize as you look through the Bible and you look at how God gave, God's giving is just unspeakable all through Scripture. God gave Adam and Eve a piece of skin from an innocent animal to replace the fig leaves and cover their shame of nakedness. Perfect gift. God gave Noah a plan for the ark that would provide for the saving of his household when judgment came. A perfect gift. God gave Sarah a precious miracle child in her old age, and she named him Isaac, a perfect gift. 
God gave the Israelites possession of the land flowing with milk and honey. God gave the prophets to plead with his people and tell them of amazing things to come. God gave the scriptures to prophesy of a Messiah who would come and deliver and save his people. God gave the shepherds a pronouncement by the angels that Jesus was born. God gave the wise men a star to lead them to the young child with their gifts. God gave Joseph the patience to understand the strange circumstances of a virgin with child. God gave the world the Prince of Peace. God gave Jesus as the place of sinners on the cross to bear our sorrow and shame, and Jesus gave His life for sinners. God offers for all men pardon for their sins that they might know the joy of everlasting life. Isn't God a great giver? John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. James says it this way in James 1.17 that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. Jesus told the woman at the well that one day, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him and he would have given thee living water. Paul put it this way in Romans 8.32, he that spared not his own son, shall he not with him also freely give us all things to enjoy? Ephesians 2.8, Paul says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is a gift of God. And again, I echo with the Apostle Paul in our text verse, Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. Have you received that gift? I hope so. Because if you're here today and you've never received that gift, could I share with you today that right now in your seat, you can receive that gift. Just on Thursday afternoon, we had a special service here, memorial service for our brother, Skip Martin, who's now in heaven in glory with his father. But at that service, I gave the gospel... And there were four men who raised their hand and had prayed that prayer and asked the Lord to save them. As I stood off to the side of the family and everybody came through and gave their condolences to the family, I asked each of them, did you pray and ask the Lord to be their Savior? To which each of them testified, yes, I did. One of them I didn't even have to ask. He got up me to the side. He said, I want you to know I prayed that prayer. The greatest gift that you could ever receive is not found under a tree. It's someone who once hung on a tree. Jesus Christ, God's Son, who died for you. The only way to heaven is through Jesus. The only way to heaven is to place your faith in Him, to not trust yourself, but to trust Him that He's the only way. And if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you can testify today that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You're on your way to heaven. But if you're here today uncertain of your salvation, today you can make it certain. Could we bow our heads, please, and close our eyes? Maybe you're here today. 
You say, preacher, I've never trusted Jesus as my Savior. I, I don't know if I'm going to heaven, but boy, I sure would like to know. Well, I'm here to help you understand that you can know Jesus as your Savior. If you would acknowledge that you're a sinner, if you would acknowledge here today that Jesus died to pay your sin debt, and if you by faith would accept Him as your personal Savior, the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you like to call on the name of the Lord today? You're here today without Jesus Christ and you'd like to call on His name for salvation, then I want to invite you here today. I'm going to pray a simple prayer out loud and what I'd like to invite you to do is to pray it to yourself in your heart. Don't say the words out loud, just say it to yourself. But please understand, it's not the words that make the prayer. This has to be something from your heart. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth, that's you speaking these words to God, you're praying these words to God, but if we believe in our heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So this has to be something you do with all your heart. If you'd like to be saved today, I'd like to just pray this prayer out loud and you pray it to yourself. Here's the prayer. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm certain that I cannot save myself. But I'm so grateful that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins. Jesus, God's Son, died on that cross and He shed His blood to wash my sins away. And right now, I'm asking Jesus, God's Holy Son, to forgive me of all my sins and become my personal Savior. My friend, if you just prayed that prayer, then you've just now accepted that personal, practical, and yet permanent gift that God makes available for every person.